Hi, I'm Nick Dawson, the Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film, and you're listening to the TalkHouse Film Podcast. Michael Tully persevered for 20 years to make his passion project Ping Pong Summer, an 80s-set movie about Rad Miracle, a hip-hop mad teenager who comes of age during a family vacation to Ocean City, Maryland. When Ping Pong Summer came out a few months back, Savage Steve Holland, the writer-director of the 80s classics Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer, wasn't available to write about Tully's movie, so it seemed only fitting that I should persevere until the timing was right. When Holland finally did have an opportunity to check out the film, he immediately emailed me to say that Ping Pong Summer was the best movie he'd seen in 10 years. So I thought I'd put him and Tully together for a chat on Skype and a little bit of mutual appreciation. Hey, Mike. So um, it was funny because um, Nick sent me this movie a while back and I've been doing a bunch of stuff. But then uh, it's so interesting because normally I get boned on these things. Like I'm like, people send me the weirdest stuff because... um, they, they, there's this weird assumption that the more disgusting and vile it is, it's the more like Savage Steve Holland style. And um, I just have to say, like, I was so enthralled with your movie. And I thought it was the most delightful movie I've seen in like the longest time. So I was so happy that Nick came through and it was like just great. And you did such a great job. Well, thank you. I, you know, I think that's the risk. Or, or, the risk with this movie is that it's like, no danger and no edge whatsoever <laughs> where it's like can you make an interesting 90 minute movie where like everyone says you know screenwriting 101 is like there has to be high stakes and in our movie every step of the way like before the big battle when you're supposed to be like raising the bar life or death the dad's like we'll love you no matter what and you're like, i know it, it was so cool it was funny i um i was somehow i got talking to john heater I, um from napoleon dynamite the, uh, like a couple weeks ago uh-huh. about something and um i said to him like napoleon dynamite's the best 80s movies that's like not made in the 80s and i think you're up there with that right now Oh, you know, man, I, that's incredible. I, I've, I've read all your interviews and stuff, and you, you said, like, wouldn't it be cool if like, in three years everybody thinks this movie was made in the 80s? I think that could happen, you know? It's just really great. And what I loved about it was I kept expecting the cynicism that I always seem to get in any any movie that's especially made about teens or preteens. Mm-hmm. And um, every step of the way, I expected something bad to happen, you know? Every character that showed up. Like, I love the guy who gets out of the pool and just has this big, stupid smile on his face. I thought, sure, he's going to, like, smack. My, my first instinct was he's going to smack the icy out of the kid's hand, you know. Um, and, and then that didn't happen. You know, the skateboard guy, I thought he was going to come and punch the kid. And then, and then um, uh, what's, what's, uh, Teddy Fry comes by, and I thought he was going to scam the kid. And just every, every step, I was waiting for that, you know, cynical thing to happen. And it was like, like he didn't, he didn't do it. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, just, I mean, I think I think it's interesting because I think your work also, whether it's from the from the very beginning, the features is there is a sweetness to it. So I think maybe, like you said, when people send you stuff, they're not really understanding that the sort of sweetness, it's like even better off there, the character is trying to kill himself, but even at the like low points, it still has a sort of optimism and sweetness to it, and that yeah. I think is sort of maybe the the spiritual guide that I was hoping to capture. And just in the sense of like, ultimately I've been trying to get this movie off the ground for 20 years and it had shaped and shifted and there were R-rated versions, but I've lived long enough. Go ahead. Uh, Do you mind if I, can I, I, I've been dying to ask you about that. Like, uh, like, um, in some of your interviews, you didn't really go into too much depth about like the process of how you got your movie made, especially a sweet movie, you know, like like you just said, you had an R-rated version and Better Off Dead. 
I had to drop the F-bomb like twice in it because uh, oh. they were trying to get a PG-13 and then it just didn't work. It was like it was like Roy Stalin saying F you to like Cusack and it was just like that just made him such a jerk, you know. Yeah. So I took it out and went for the PG because it just ruined the movie, I thought. But um, that's interesting that you had more of an R rating or, or version of it. Like how do you mind telling us like what that was or what you thought – you know, or how you got away with not doing it or, or what the decision process was on that? Well, it just was the kind of thing of like, I went to film school in Baltimore and every year and I graduated in like 97, I guess it was. So, mm -hmm. so I was like, I went to school to make this movie and I, every winter I would rewrite it. And it just sort of became like a Rorschach of the cinema I was into at the time. You know, the, uh -huh. the core was always the same. It was always the title, Ping Pong Summer. And it was, what if I inserted... Um, combined hip-hop and ping-pong into an 80s movie, like a beach movie. So that never yeah. changed. But, like, for a while, Rad was never... It wasn't a family vacation. That was something that I lived long enough with it where I thought... I want to make kind of a love letter to my the movies I watched at that age when I wasn't watching, like, Bellatar, Satan Tango, and I wasn't a real cinephile. So I was just trying to, like, do a love letter to my own family upbringing, which was sweet. It was like my parents are still together. They got along really well. Um, and, you know, aside from the usual squabbles, like in the movie. But um, I, I just, I lived long enough with it where I thought it would actually be sweeter to... Um, to, to make a movie that was PG. And to, and we thought we had that same discussion in 2013 about do we put an F-bomb in there, and it yeah. just didn't feel right. Right. That's so cool, man. Well, congratulations on that. But it's, it's just interesting that you can get away with, like, not making a completely cynical, edgy teen movie, and it's just what makes it... It's, it's going to make it live forever, you know? And I'm so... I was really impressed by that. And um, I'm wondering, in the sense... Is it true that you're... Are you gearing up to do a feature this summer? Oh, I, I'm with, no? I'm, well, it's, again, it's one of those things where it's, it's, um, it's a, what do you call it? Cast dependent. So yeah. that's why we're talking to certain people about it and we'll, we'll see what happens, but nothing, yes, you know, nothing's real until you're on the set and it's actually happening. Um, yeah. that's why I was wondering, like, like, for instance, when I was trying to get better off dead made, I went to Cal arts out here and I went out for like a couple of uh, years trying to sell it and everybody thought it was stupid, which is, you know, it is. And then, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I, I did the same kind of thing with like a kind of a mishmash of like, you know, things that really happened and exaggerated it. And um, but there was just one day when I had one meeting with one guy and I said, this is the absolute last. The guy's voice, his name is Michael Jaffe and he's, he's a real tough guy voice. And I thought, this is the last meeting I'm going to take on Better Off Dead and I'm just going to abandon it if this doesn't work because I'm so tired of like trying to sell it or pitch this idea. And yeah. that meeting has really just changed everything. He, he was having me rewrite a um, – teen movie for this company he was working on. It was just really crappy teen movie. And I said, you know, you got my name and you liked me because of this Better Off Dead script that I wrote. Why don't you make Better Off Dead? And then he said, well, hold on. I'll go home and think about that. And like called me the next day and said, yeah, no, you're right. Let's make Better Off Dead. And that was like, that's how your life can change in one night, you know? And, and I was just wondering, and by the way, I'd gone through a million companies where people had developed it or, you know, oh, hung on to it yeah. or attached themselves to it or something. And then there was always like the, the rewrites I had to do where I had to put like boobs in it or whatever. Yeah. And I was just wondering, how did you finally get like someone to cough up the bucks? It was really um, this, this, uh, the main producer. We had a lot of producers, of course, because you need that anymore to get a movie made. But George Rush, who, who he had sold my last movie at Sundance um, called Septian. When I met him at Sundance, I hadn't met George. And we met in the flesh and had a beer. And um, he was like, well, do you have any other movies? Just doing the small talk thing. And at that point, I said, 
Yeah, there's this 80s ping pong hip hop comedy coming of age that I've been, you know, it's like the bane of my existence. I've been trying to make it for 20 years. And he was like, that actually sounds like a good idea. You know, he's like, your, your, your baby, your life dream project is an 80s hip hop comedy. Like, so he was the one who, after 20 years, a lot of people have liked the idea, have had meetings, had some flirtations with Hollywood, but it was really the core of George saying, I, I want to um, step into producing, and I think I can raise the money to get this movie made. Um, and that was really the true beginning. Like you said, it was I was about to give up. I was hitting the 20-year mark, and I was going to say, if I can't make this movie after 20 years, it's over. <laughs> I'm just going to put it to bed. And that's right when the world sort of smiled upon us. But, but everyone, to the, to the extent, I don't know if you've heard, it's pretty crazy that Ocean City, Maryland, where the, the movie ends up kind of being a love letter to, they invested, their tourism boards each invested $100,000 in our somewhat strange independent movie. I didn't know. That's amazing. That's so cool. Because actually, it was like a... I was going to ask you about that too. Is that is that the actual town that like you went to with your family? Yeah, I mean, a lot God. of those locations were written. That's why George is from San Francisco, and he's like, "Why does this movie have to be made in Ocean City, Maryland? What is Ocean City, Maryland?" And I was like, "Just come out here." And he yeah. made a trek, and he made a visit, and was like, oh, "Okay, now I get it." Like that dolly of the, the minute-long dolly of that buffet. Um, oh, I love that. that, I, that absolutely. I went it. to that buffet in 1985 with my parents. It's the same buffet. It is so awesome. It's it's funny because like we the reason why we made one crazy summer is because I it's Nantucket because I wanted to just go to Nantucket, but it's, we really go to Hyannis, you know, which is in Cape Cod, and uh, my grandma lived there, and it's the same thing where, like, I just I love the the opening with the little guy with the rad um, looking over like uh, just at the signs for a really long time of all the crab shacks and all that stuff, and just reminded me so much of my summers in Cape Cod where. Everything was magical, you know, when you drive up and you just come into to your like sort of where I'm going to hang out for this summer town and just like the Dunkin Donuts or like we would go to this um, miniature golf thing that we would save up for all year. It's like, oh, another thing, like when, when the dad gives Rad a, a $20 bill and it's like the most amazing thing ever, like that would make us last the whole summer, you know, 20 bucks. Yeah. And um, we would go to this um, miniature golf course and we would spend, again, in your movie where the, you have the character, the uncle that says like, why are you inside? You know, like this is the beach. But we would yeah. just go to this, instead of go to the beach, we'd go to this miniature golf course and we would just play miniature golf because if, if you got the last hole and it was a hole in one, you got to play again. So yeah. our goal yeah. all summer was just to continually play that one hole with, and we only spent like $1 that first day to play. And then we just got that hole in one and you get a card, like if they're closing up, we would spend yeah. like 18 hours a day there at this stupid place, <laughs> but it was so awesome, you know? So I'd love I wanted that, to put know. that in. That was one of people ask, like, what are the things that didn't get in? But definitely the 18th hole putt putt was, um, that was part of my childhood. That was oh like God, winning yeah. the Willy Wonka golden ticket. If yeah. You could get it in the hole. Totally, yeah. So the, I do I mean, think it's, it's funny though when you mentioned it's a barometer because obviously everything we make, it's like you know, if you make a movie that everyone likes, you're doing something wrong. But this <laughs> Ping Pong yeah. Summer, it's like people will just be like, "This isn't even a movie." The people who just really do not connect with it, and I think it's a really great uh, barometer is when this kid is pulling into town and all he's looking at are like kind of crappy hotel signs versus all-you-can-eat seafood signs. Yeah. And I think there's a viewer who would be like, what is, is this kid, like, damaged? Like, why is he so <laughs> excited? Whereas I think a lot of us, that, that reflects our upbringing, and that was a big deal. And I was trying to, 
you know, honor that and make it 100% sincere and not ironic. But I think there are viewers who are just like, what is he looking at? He's looking I at nothing. Yeah, I totally get it. Like across from my grandma's house was a shell station. It would just go ding, 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 ding all night long. And I, that's a sound I couldn't wait to hear, you know, but it's just something about <laughs> summer. It was so cool. So I totally get it. I could see, yeah, it might be confusing to some people, but I just thought it was just so charming. And and what about your um your casting? Like those kids, I look at them and I'm obviously involved in the kids business a lot. And I'm like, oh yeah, those, those kids should be huge stars. I mean, they, they're so adorable. Um, where And do, are some of them locals? Like, like, how did you do that? Yeah, it was all, um, that was a choice. One of our producers, Michael Gottwald, had done Beast of the Southern Wild, where they found Quivenjanae Wallace, who went on to a humble little Oscar nomination for her at like six years old. But um, so uh -huh. we, I adopted that approach. I really liked those guys working sort of communally. And I thought what would make our movie different is if we didn't ship kids in from New York and LA, and there was a hint of a Maryland accent, which you cannot teach or train, it's just such yeah. a weird accent. Uh -huh. So I made a really firm commitment that I wanted, um, and luckily when you're dealing with the adolescent age, I don't think, I, there's like Chloe Moretz, and there are certain actors that I guess would really bump your movie up, but in the sense of, um, cast dependent. I don't think it played as much of a role as the adults. So we were really lucky in that realm and people supported it. So we went around the state for about six months before shooting and just put a, put a call out on Facebook, got a library room, said, you don't have to read lines. You don't have to be an actor. We just want to see as many kids as possible. Wow. And um, but, but then for the bad guys, we actually went to Pat Moran, who was uh, John Waters casting agent in Baltimore. We were having trouble finding the bad guys. And then, oh. I mean, you know, when you make, you're trying to make a movie that feels authentic to the 80s, and then yeah. Andy Riddle, who plays Dale, the sidekick, and that kid's face he, he, on the he video. was so awesome. Just, yeah, just, that's just awesome. Um, but yeah, so it was just trusting these kids, and a lot of them had never acted, and we shot on Super 16, so it was shooting on film. Nice. Um, and uh, we were just lucky to find kids. You know, for Rad, there's a there's a direction you could have gone with that character that was maybe more Napoleon Dynamite, where he was kind of wacky and wild. And I just really wanted to play it, um, underplay that. And I felt like uh, Marcello Conti just had this expressive thing where he didn't really have to act and you were feeling sympathy for him. Yeah. He reminded me of Bobby Brady, but um, in a oh, really yeah. charming way. <laughs> He's just... But he is... So funny because it, again, I expected some sort of cynical stuff to come out. He's just a guy who just wanted to try to rap and 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 play ping pong, and it was just so cool the way he just didn't spin out or or lose his mind. And I, I, I loved when he finally like walked up to Susan Sarandon and said, "I should have kissed her, but I didn't." It's just like <laughs> the first time he ta really talked to her, and it was so cute. And um, I love that Susan Sarandon um took a shot there, and it and and she was so beautiful in that movie too. You know, I just thought that was such a such a cool kind of like Mr. Miyagi character to have living next door that was just kind of so unique. Um, that, just good job on that, man. It was really cool. Well, thank you. I feel like, um, again, we, the things we make are not for everyone. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, as someone who, you know, played a vital role in my cinema upbringing, it's like really, really exciting to hear that. Because then you start reading, your movie comes out on DVD, Blu-ray, and unavoidably you read some reviews and people are like, really missed an opportunity or like, well, oh, yeah. And, colors. and it's like, you know, you have a handle on things and you know it's all subjective, but... Um, it came at a good time to hear you watch this and respond to it, Will. Yeah, it was super cool.
how, how would, would it be like to watch it with um, your cast? Like, the, I bet they were stunned how cool it came out. Yeah, we did um, the summer before. The movie was done in, like, June, actually. We got it done and then didn't premiere until January at Sundance. So we had a, a private screening to show the families and the kids in June. Um, so they had six months to sort of, like, come to terms with it. And I think Absolutely. everyone at first was kind of like, what is this? They they were happy, but it was just a shock to the system because most of them <laughs> hadn't seen themselves on screen and the parents hadn't seen their kids. Um, but then by the time Sundance came around, I didn't sit through it at the premiere because I, I felt like I didn't want to give a apologetic, self-deprecating Q&A. Um, and everyone uh, had a blast. It seemed like the premiere itself could not have gone better. So oh, how great. it was wonderful. And Leah Thompson, even, I think she was kind of she she came out of that thing like wow everything you you said you were going to do or the the weird tone of having a sort of underplayed naturalism with a kooky 80s movie it seemed like it really connected with her to to sit with a crowd and watch it and she's just like such a great 80s star too it's just so that was so nice to see her she looked great it was really she's awesome she was, man and she was adorable like, She's still a great actress, and I think the thing is, like, we didn't want to do stunt casting, and what's good about her is it isn't that, because at first year, it just gives a credibility, and then she kept saying, like, I'm not really saying anything, or I'm not doing anything, but it was, like, one flick of her eyeball, and you yeah. just laughing. Like, I don't know, not many actors have that. Yep, no, she's she's magical. She really is cool. It was great, and it was so, so nice. And, and then how did you, did how did Susan Sarandon fall into this? She was the first cog because she, um, she you, you know about her in ping pong. She's sort of a ping pong propagandist. Do you know any of this? No. She's, she's a co-owner of a ping pong franchise called Spin, which is a club that started in New York City. And then they branched out. So now they have one in Toronto, uh, L.A., um, you got such a great idea. I never even thought of that, but that's awesome. I didn't know she was doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so, and it's not that she's great at ping pong. I think she just thinks it's a cool, it is, a, it's a really good activity that anyone can play. And um, she's yeah. just become, I think she's embraced becoming a spokesperson for it. So for years, I actually, there was a point at which uh, the, ba the the mentor, it's always a guy, you know, the like alcoholic. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Shaven. So uh, we, again, I lived long enough with it that I thought, let's make this interesting and try to make it a female and it's not like pervy, like are she yeah. and Rad going to hook up or anything, right, you know, right, right. Um, just make it sort of sweet. And, um, but, but for years, I, I actually wanted Werner Herzog to be the like bleakest <laughs> mentor in sports movie history. Like everything out of his mouth was like, you know, why are you bothering? You're going to die anyway. Don't even pick up. <laughs> um, but uh, but then we again we lived with it long enough and thought let's let's give a talented actress a, a role which you know typically it would have gone to a male and Susan um, to her credit she watched Septia in the previous movie which again is not for everyone and she seemed to connect with it thought it was cool and um, the real connection was Jay Duplass I don't know if you know Mark and Jay Duplass's work they directed her in Jeff Who Lives at Home um, no. from a few years ago. And uh, Jay uh, recommended her where I'm, I'm at the point where we're working with kids who hadn't acted before. And I just did not want to have, no matter what, I just don't like negative sets and sort of yeah. high energy and all that. And I wanted to make sure that uh, we were casting adult actors who were, who were, you know, professional and cool and sweet. And Jay vouched for her. And then on our behalf, he reached out to her. And that was really what started it all. That, that's it's funny because when I was watching the opening titles, I'm like, wait, this is 
and Leah Thompson and, and, and Susan Sarandon, I'm like, I'm like, I didn't know there was big names in this, you know? And then suddenly I'm like, that's, those are some pretty darn big names. So that was really cool. It, it gave it such legitimacy. And then I, but like I said, then I expected cynicism, but then I saw your opening animated sequence. Who did that? That was a guy named Teddy Blanks and, um, and a few other fellows. They're Chips NY is their company. And Teddy does, he's a musician and he does, um, poster designing and a lot of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I reached out to Teddy. I've known him for a while. He's a young buck in New York. And I just said, like, what about not jacking the wild style opening credits, but something similar? And he was the one that really came up with the idea of, you know, we'll do the department heads as the slushy machines and then the producers and director as the record players. Yeah. Um, so, again, it's all about, I think, hiring people who are way more creative and smart than you and hopefully having yeah. a, a good kernel of an idea and then letting them run with it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like taking credit for other people's work. That's why <laughs> I try to hire really smart people. Um, but you and, make, I mean, you're an animator too, right? So you, yeah. But so I, I wonder like, how, yeah, your take on that to see, like, I think he did a lot of hand drawing, you know, it was a, probably a mix of computer, but he was doing a lot of painstaking stuff. And his funny thing to me was, he's like, I'm not a great animator. This might look a little amateur, but he's like, uh, I kind of think that's, that's what it should be. And we were both yeah. like, that's what it should be. It should feel scrappy and, and um, honest. Yeah, I did like the opening for Better Off Dead on my dining room table. And it's, there's like, when I filmed it, I forgot to put in like some in between. So there's these parts in the, the opening titles, for God's sake, that jump. And I'm like, oh crap, that was that cell I forgot. I, I like went to film my stuff and I had one cell stuck to my butt, like that I was drying on a chair. And then I just, so anyway, but now I, every time I see the movie, I'm like, that's the one, oh God, that's the frame that was on my butt. I, I'm so sorry guys, I've got to take off, but I just wanted to tell you, Mike, I really wish you well because I think you're a star and this is a really charming, sweet movie that just made my summer. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I actually wish the podcast hadn't been you just saying really nice things to me. So hopefully maybe we'll do it again <laughs> and we'll talk about like writing and all those other things. But I really appreciate this. This is good for my ego and hopefully oh, people will enjoy listening. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate it and look forward to you uh, still trucking. Oh God, I've got to, I can't die. I've got four kids, so I've got to keep making this stuff. I appreciate it very, very much. It's uh, yeah, talking to a hero. So this is really exciting for me. You're the best. Okay, thank you, buddy. Have a great rest of your summer. It was All great right, talking. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. This is Nick Dawson from Talkhouse Film, and you've been listening to Savage Steve Holland in conversation with Michael Tully on the Talkhouse Film podcast. For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit thetalkhouse.com film. Subscribe to Talkhouse Film and Talkhouse Music Podcasts on iTunes, where you can find all our previous episodes. And while you're there, please rate and review if you can. Oh, that's great news. Okay, good, because I'm not wearing pants. No, I'm just kidding, I am. I am. <laughs>